Lesson 12 for June 16 to 22, ready for teaching on June 23. Babylon and Armageddon. Sabbath afternoon, June 16. Before we start, let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we come as we come towards the end of this series of lessons to ask you, to thank you, and to praise you. We ask you that your Holy Spirit will guide us. We thank you that we have this knowledge and we praise you as being the God who provides salvation for each one of us through Jesus. Bless us as we open your word, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Our memory text this week is Revelation chapter 17 and verse 5. On her forehead a name was written, Mystery Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and of the abominations of the earth. Let's read that again, Revelation 17, verse 5. On her forehead a name was written, Mystery Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and of the abominations of the earth. The book of Revelation, as we already have noted, comes filled with instances and language taken directly from the Old Testament. For instance, the name Babylon appears six times in Revelation. But it is not talking about the ancient kingdom of Nebuchadnezzar, which had passed from world history hundreds of years earlier. Instead, John is using Old Testament imagery to express a truth. In this case, Babylon, a massive political and religious power that had oppressed God's people, now describes the massive religious and political powers that will seek to do the same in the end times. Something similar happens with the word Armageddon. The word occurs only in Revelation. But it is based on a Hebrew phrase that seems to mean Mount of Megiddo, a reference to a location in ancient Israel. A great deal of speculation exists about Armageddon, with many people looking for a massive military battle to take place there, in Megiddo, near the end of the world. This week... We will look at Babylon and Armageddon and seek to learn what the Bible is telling us with these images. Sunday, June 17, The Wine of Her Wrath Question. Read Revelation chapter 14, verse 8, chapter 16, verse 19, chapter 17, verse 5, chapter 18, verses 2, 10, and 21. The six references to Babylon in the book of Revelation. Keeping in mind the story of Babylon as it appeared in the Old Testament, what do these texts teach us about Babylon as it appears in the context of last-day events? First of all, Revelation 14, verse 8, And another angel followed, saying, Babylon is fallen, is fallen, that great city, because she made all nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. And Revelation 16, verse 19, Now the great city was divided into three parts, and the cities of the nations fell. The great Babylon was remembered before God to give her the cup of the wine of the fierceness of his wrath. 
Revelation 18, verse 2, And he cried mightily with a loud voice, saying, Babylon the great is fallen, is fallen, and has become a dwelling place of demons, a prison for every foul spirit, and a cage for every unclean and hated bird. And Revelation 18, verse 10, Standing at a distance for fear of her torment, saying, Alas, alas, that great city Babylon, that mighty city, for in one hour your judgment has come. And Revelation 18 verse 21. Then a mighty angel took up a stone like a great millstone and threw it into the sea, saying, Thus with violence the great city Babylon shall be thrown down and shall not be found any more. It has been said that the Bible is a tale of two cities, Jerusalem and Babylon. While Jerusalem stood for the city of God and his covenant people all through the Bible, as expressed in these verses that we'll read shortly, Babylon has stood for oppression, violence, false religion, and outright rebellion against God. Those texts are Psalm 102, verse 21, to declare the name of the Lord in Zion and his praise in Jerusalem. And Isaiah 52, verse 9, Break forth into joy, sing together, you waste places of Jerusalem, for the Lord has comforted his people, he has redeemed Jerusalem. And Isaiah 65, verse 19, I will rejoice in Jerusalem and joy in my people, the voice of weeping shall no longer be heard in her nor the voice of crying. And Revelation 3, verse 12, He who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God, and he shall go out no more. I will write on him the name of my God, and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from my God, and I will write on him my new name. Think, for instance, of the Tower of Babel in Genesis chapter 11. The Hebrew word for Babel is the same word for the kingdom of Babylon. In 1 Peter 5.13, Peter sends greetings from the church in Babylon, which generally is understood not to mean from the ruins of the old city or the old kingdom located in today's Iraq, but from Rome itself, soon to be the church's oppressor. This is an interesting appellation in light of the book of Revelation and the role of Rome as presented in it. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 13 She who is in Babylon, elect together with you, greets you, and so does Mark, my son. Question. Read Revelation chapter 14, verse 8 and chapter 18, verse 3. What do these texts reveal about the malevolent influence of Babylon on the world and on God's people. Revelation 14 verse 8, And another angel followed, saying, Babylon is fallen, is fallen, that great city, because she has made all nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. And Revelation 18 verse 3, For all the nations have drunk of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. The kings of the earth have committed fornication with her, and the merchants of the earth Monday, have become 18, rich through the Babylon abundance is of fallen. her 
luxury. However corrupt there and far-reaching no the influence of Babylon the has been in the Babylon world, the book, the book of Revelation teaches that one day it will all end. That extends across the whole world. Question, read Revelation the phrase, chapter 18 the verses 1 through to 10. In what do these verses tell us about Babylon clearly a reference the Great? To false doctrine. After false these things, I saw another angel coming down from heaven, having great authority, and the earth was illuminated with his glory. And he Babylon cried mightily with a loud voice, saying, Babylon the Great is fallen, is fallen and has become a dwelling place of demons, everyone a prison needs to take for every foul spirit, and a cage for every unclean well. and hated bird. And so to finish today, for all the nations have drunk of the, the wine today. of the wrath of her fornication. The, the kings the of the earth have committed fornication with her, and the merchants of the earth have become rich through the abundance of her luxury. And I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, lest you share in her sins and lest you receive of her plagues. For her sins have reached to heaven, and God has remembered her iniquities. Render to her just as she rendered to you, and repay her double according to her works. In the cup which she has mixed, mix double for her. In the measure that she glorified herself and lived luxuriously, in the same measure give her torment and sorrow. For she says in her heart, I sit as queen, and am no widow, and will not see sorrow. Therefore her plagues will come in one day, death and mourning and famine, and she will be utterly burned with fire. For strong is the Lord God who judges her. The kings of the earth who committed fornication and lived luxuriously with her will weep and lament for her when they see the smoke of her burning, standing at a distance for fear of her torment, saying, Alas! Alas, that great city of Babylon, that mighty city, for in one hour your judgment has come. The second angel's message of Revelation 14 verse 8 about the fall of Babylon is repeated here in Revelation 18 verse 2. Let's read that again. And he cried mightily with a loud voice, saying, Babylon the great is fallen, is fallen, and has become a dwelling place of demons, a prison of every foul spirit, and a cage for every unclean and hated bird. It's an expression of just how corrupt this entity has become. Ellen White writes in The Great Controversy, page 389 and 390, the Bible declares that before the coming of the Lord, Satan will work with all power and signs and lying wonders and with all deceivableness of unrighteousness. And they that receive not the love of the truth, that they might be saved, will be left to receive strong delusion, that they should believe a lie. That's 2 Thessalonians 2, verses 9 to 11. Not until this condition shall be reached, and the union of the church with the world shall be fully accomplished throughout Christendom, will the fall of Babylon be complete. The change is a progressive one, and the perfect fulfilment of Revelation 14, verse 8, is yet future. End of quote. Whether that perfect fulfilling now has come, only God knows. But what we do know is that, according to these texts, spiritual Babylon will one day face the judgment of God because of her great evil. For her sins have reached unto heaven, and God hath remembered her iniquities. Revelation 18 verse 5. This expression, 
reflects language from the Old Testament about ancient Babylon as well, as we read in Jeremiah 51 verse 9, and means that a time of judgment is sure to come. Jeremiah 51 9 reads, We would have healed Babylon, but she is not healed. Forsake her, and let us go every one to his own country, for her judgment reaches to heaven and is lifted up to the skies. Of course, this coming judgment shouldn't be surprising. After all, Babylon of old faced judgment in Daniel chapter 5. Scripture in numerous places is very clear that one day everyone will have to answer for their deeds, including Babylon. How comforting to know that as Christians we have an intercessor in that judgment who will stand for us. We read about that in 1 John chapter 2, verse 1. My little children, these things I write to you, so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And Daniel chapter 7, verse 22. Until the Ancient of Days came, and the judgment was made in favor of the saints of the Most High. And the time came for the saints to possess the kingdom. Otherwise... Our fate might not be much better than that of Babylon's. So to finish today, how can you take comfort in the promise that all the injustice and iniquity that seems to go unpunished now will face one day final retribution by God? Tuesday, June 19, Armageddon. Although most people, including many Christians, don't know much about the book of Revelation, one image or word from it has reached popular culture. Armageddon, as we read in Revelation 16.16, and they gathered them together to the place called in Hebrew Armageddon. Even in secular culture, the word has come to stand for a final struggle, in which the fate of the earth hangs in the balance. Hollywood produced a movie called Armageddon about a giant asteroid poised to destroy the planet. To some degree, the idea of the world's end is in the minds of secular people as well. Many Christians who are familiar with the book of Revelation and believe in it see the Battle of Armageddon as a literal military conflict in the Middle East near the end of the world. One version has a 200 million man army from Asia sweeping into northern Israel. Others are fixated on the various military and political conflicts in that part of the world that will, in their understanding, set the stage for the final military battle of Armageddon in the area of Megiddo. However, the Bible gives a totally different picture. Scripture presents Armageddon as the ultimate climax, not between the squabbling nations, but between the two sides of the cosmic controversy. It's a religious struggle, not economic or political, however much economic and political factors might come into play. Question. Read Revelation chapter 16, verses 12 through to 16. From these texts alone, what can we learn about Armageddon? 
Revelation 16, verses 12 through to 16. Then the sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great river Euphrates, and its water was dried up, so that the way of the kings from the east might be prepared. And I saw three unclean spirits, like frogs, coming out of the mouth of the dragon, out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophet. For they are spirits of demons, performing signs, which go to the kings of the earth and of the whole world, to gather them to the battle of that great day of God Almighty. Behold, I am coming as a thief. Blessed is he who watches and keeps his garments, lest he walk naked and they see his shame. And they gathered them together to the place called in Hebrew Armageddon. First, notice just how symbolic the language is here. Spirits like frogs coming out of the mouth of the dragon, the mouth of the beast, and the mouth of the false prophet. References to the powers of Revelation 13. The false prophet here must be a reference to the land beast of Revelation 13 verse 11. The great controversy is seen here too as the spirits of demons in verse 14. Go out to battle on the great day of God Almighty. In whatever manner Armageddon will unfold, it's a worldwide conflict between the forces of Christ and Satan. It is not a local battle in the area of Megiddo any more than Babylon in Revelation is talking about events in a corner of modern-day Iraq. And so to finish today, read Revelation chapter 16, verse 15. How fascinating that in the midst of these events, Jesus encourages us with the gospel message, with both the promise of his coming and the need to be covered in his righteousness. How does this help us to understand the spiritual nature of the battle that we are in? Revelation 16 and verse 15. Behold, I am coming as a thief. Blessed is he who watches and keeps his garments, lest he walk naked and they see his shame. Wednesday, June 20, Armageddon and Mount Carmel, Part 1. What, though, is this great battle of Armageddon? First, the name seems to mean Mountain of Megiddo. However, there is no mountain in the area known as Megiddo, but Mount Carmel was located in the vicinity. So, scholars have seen the phrase Mountain of Megiddo as a reference to Mount Carmel. More to the point, Bible students have seen the story of Elijah and the false prophets of Baal at Mount Carmel as a symbol, a type to what is going to unfold in Revelation 13. As seen yesterday, Revelation 16.13, with its reference to the dragon, the beast and the false prophet, points back to events in Revelation 13, the counterfeit trinity that we saw in week 9. Issues in Revelation 13 start to come to a climax in verses 13 and 14 when the second beast performs supernatural acts, even making, as it says in verse 13, fire come down from heaven on the earth in the sight of men. 
These events then lead to the direct confrontation between God and Satan, as well as between those worshipping the true God and those worshipping the image of the beast of Revelation 13 verse 14. Question. Read 1 Kings chapter 18 verses 1 through to 18. What is happening in this story that reflects some of the issues that will unfold in the final events as seen in the book of Revelation? 1 Kings chapter 18, beginning at verse 1, And it came to pass after many days that the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year, saying, Go, present yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain on the earth. So Elijah went to present himself to Ahab. And there was a severe famine in Samaria, and Ahab had called Obadiah, who was in charge of his house. Now Obadiah feared the Lord greatly. For so it was, while Jezebel massacred the prophets of the Lord, that Obadiah had taken one hundred prophets and hidden them, fifty to a cave, and had fed them with bread and water. And Ahab had said to Obadiah, Go into the land of all the springs of water and to all the brooks. Perhaps we may find grass to keep the horses and mules alive, so that we will not have to kill any livestock. So they divided the land between them to explore it. Ahab went one way by himself, and Obadiah went another way by himself. Now, as Obadiah was on his way, suddenly Elijah met him, and he recognized him and fell on his face and said, Is that you, my lord Elijah? And he answered him, It is I. Go, tell your master, Elijah is here. So he said, How have I sinned that you are delivering your servant into the hand of Ahab to kill me? As the Lord your God lives, there is no nation or kingdom where my master has not sent someone to hunt for you. And when they said he is not here, he took an oath from the kingdom of or nation that they could not find you. And now you say, Go tell your master, Elijah is here? And it shall come to pass, as soon as I am gone from you, that the Spirit of the Lord will carry you to a place I do not know. So when I go and tell Ahab, and he cannot find you, he will kill me. But I, your servant, have feared the Lord from my youth. Was it not reported to my Lord what I did when Jezebel killed the prophets of the Lord, how I hid one hundred men of the Lord's prophets, fifty to a cave, and fed them with bread and water? And now you say, Go tell your master, Elijah is here? He will kill me. Then Elijah said, As the Lord of hosts lives, before whom I stand, I will surely present myself to him today. So Obadiah went to meet Ahab and told him, and Ahab went to meet Elijah. Then it happened, when Ahab saw Elijah, that Ahab said to him, Is that you, O troubler of Israel? And he answered, I have not troubled Israel, but you and your father's house have, in that you have forsaken the commandments of the Lord and have followed the Baals. In many ways, what we see here is a stark portrayal of the great controversy. Elijah states the issue very plainly in verse 18. People have forsaken God's law and are worshipping and following false gods. Has not this always been the issue, regardless of the endless forms and ways in which this evil has been manifested throughout history? We are either worshipping him who made heaven and earth, the sea and the springs of waters, as it says in Revelation 14.7, or we are worshipping someone or something else. 
In Revelation 13, instead of worshipping the Lord, people are worshipping the beast and his image. There is no middle ground. We are either on the side of God or on the side of Satan. That's how important the issues at stake are, now and especially in the Battle of Armageddon, where, as we see in the story of Mount Carmel, the distinction becomes very clear. Thursday, June 21. Armageddon and Mount Carmel, Part 2. Question. Read 1 Kings, Chapter 18, Verses 18 to 40. What happens? How does the story end? And, without pushing the parallels too far, how does this story reflect what will happen on a grander scale as the great controversy climaxes at the end of time? First Kings 18, beginning at verse 18, And he answered, I have not troubled Israel, but you and your father's house have, in that you have forsaken the commandments of the Lord, and have followed the Baals. Now, therefore, send and gather all Israel to me on Mount Carmel, the four hundred and fifty prophets of Baal, and the four hundred prophets of Asherah, who eat at Jezebel's table. So Ahab sent for all the children of Israel and gathered the prophets together on Mount Carmel. And Elijah came to all the people and said, How long will you halt between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him, but if Baal, follow him. But the people answered him not a word. Then Elijah said to the people, I alone am left the prophet of the Lord, but Baal's prophets are four hundred and fifty men. Therefore, let them give us two bulls, and let them choose one bull for themselves, cut it in pieces, and lay it on the wood, but put no fire under it. And I will prepare the other bull, and lay it on the wood, but put no fire under it. Then you call on the name of your gods, and I will call on the name of the Lord. And the God who answers by fire, he is God. So all the people answered and said, It is well spoken. Now Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, Choose one bull for yourselves and prepare it first, for you are many, and call on the name of your God, but put no fire under it. So they took the bull which was given them, and they prepared it and called on the name of Baal from morning even till noon, saying, O Baal, hear us. But there was no voice, no one answered. Then they leaped about the altar which they had made. And so it was at noon that Elijah mocked them and said, Cry aloud, for he is a god. Either he is meditating, or he is busy, or he is on a journey, or perhaps he is sleeping and must be awakened. So they cried aloud and cut themselves, as was their custom, with knives and lances, until the blood gushed out of them. And when midday was past, they prophesied until the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice. But there was no voice. No one answered. No one paid attention. Then Elijah said to all the people, Come near to me. So all the people came near to him, and he repaired the altar of the Lord that was broken down. And Elijah took twelve stones, according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord had come, saying, 
Israel shall be your name. Then, with the stones, he built an altar in the name of the Lord. And he made a trench around the altar large enough to hold two seers of seed. And he put the wood in order, cut the bull in pieces, and laid it on the wood, and said, Fill four water pots with water, and pour it on the burnt sacrifice and on the wood. Then he said, Do it a second time. And they did it a second time. And he said, Do it a third time. And they did it a third time. So the water ran all around the altar, and he also filled the trench with water. And it came to pass, on at the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice, that Elijah the prophet came near and said, Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel, and I am your servant, and that I have done all these things at your word. Hear me, O Lord, hear me, that your people may know that you are the Lord God, and that you have turned their hearts back to you again. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt sacrifice, and the wood and the stones and the dust, and it licked up the water that was in the trench. Now when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces, and they said, The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. And Elijah said to them, Seize the prophets of Baal, do not let one of them escape. So they seized them, and Elijah brought them down to the brook Kishon, and executed them there. The battle on Mount Carmel was between Elijah, prophet of God, and hundreds of priests of Baal. Notice how the evil outnumbered the good. It was a test to demonstrate who is the true God, the God who created the heavens and the earth, or Baal, just another manifestation of the dragon, and another means by which he seeks to deceive the world. As we previously read in Revelation 12.9, the priests prayed to Baal to send fire to burn up their bull sacrifice. They shouted from morning till noon. Cry aloud, taunted Elijah, perhaps he is sleeping. The priests worked themselves up into a frenzy. They slashed themselves with swords until the blood flowed freely. Weary and worn, they gave up at the time of the evening sacrifice. Elijah's sacrifice was soaked three times and water overflowed the trenches. Elijah prayed a simple prayer to God. God instantly burned up everything, including the stone altar and the soil beneath. The power of the true God is, in contrast to Baal, and was now unmistakable. Question. Read Revelation chapter 16, verse 13, and verse, chapter 19, verses 20 and 21, and compare these texts with the fate of the false prophets of Baal. What do you see here? Revelation 16.13 And I saw three unclean spirits, like frogs, coming out of the mouth of the dragon, out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophet. And Revelation 19, verses 20 and 21 Then the beast was captured, and with him the false prophet, who worked signs in his presence, by which he deceived those who received the mark of the beast, and those who worshipped his image. These two were cast alive into the lake of fire, burning with brimstone. And the rest were killed with the sword, which proceeded from the mouth of him who sat on the horse. And all the birds were filled with their flesh. Whatever remains unknown about Armageddon, at least for now we know the outcome. Destruction of the enemies of God and vindication for God and his saints. 
So, to finish the day, read 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 and 2. Although the immediate context is different from Armageddon, what is the point that Paul is making, and why is that so relevant for us to remember, especially in light of what the future holds? See also Revelation 16.15, in which the context is definitely Armageddon. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 and 2. Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received, and in which you stand, by which also you are saved, if you hold fast the word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. And Revelation 16.15 Behold, I am coming as a thief. Blessed is he who watches and keeps his garments, lest he walk naked, and they see his shame. What together do these texts tell us? Friday, June 22. From the book Armageddon at the Door by John Pauline, page 193, we read, In several places in the Battle of Armageddon, narrative, the hideous creatures and the ugly events take the backstage for a moment, and a glimpse of more personal truth appears. As we've seen, one of them is Revelation 16.15. Behold, I come like a thief. Blessed is he who stays awake and keeps his clothes with him, so that he may not go naked and be shamefully exposed. This text, coming right in the middle of the one place in the Bible that actually names Armageddon, echoes many New Testament passages about personal preparation for the return of Jesus and the events of the end. Another such text is Revelation 17.14. These will make war with the Lamb, but the Lamb will overcome them, because He is Lord of Lords and King of Kings, and those with Him are called and chosen and faithful. That's the author's translation. Here, the great war at the end engages an army of people whose primary purpose is not to destroy others with weapons, but to be faithful to their divine calling and election. This is a very different kind of battle from the ones that nations and insurgent operations still fight today. As I've said repeatedly, the battle of Armageddon is a struggle for the mind. It is also a battle for the heart a call to heartfelt allegiance to the Lamb that was slain. End of quote. And that brings us to our discussion questions this week. There are three. How would you help someone who believes that many of the events depicted in the book of Revelation will take place in the literal places mentioned? What approaches could help him or her to see why this is a wrong way of interpreting the texts? Two, as we've seen, the influence of Babylon extends all over the world. What are some of the teachings of Babylon, and how can we learn to discern what those teachings are, and how to avoid them? And three, in the Ellen White reference on Monday, she said, Not until the union of the church with the world shall be fully accomplished throughout Christendom will the battle of Babylon be complete. Think about the phrase, the union of the church with the world. What powerful warning is here 
for us. Inside Story Our mission story this week is titled Miracle Book Sale and it's by Camille Metz and Camille Metz is the international coordinator for the Glow Tracts Ministry. Helen Johnson abruptly realised as she'd walked down a street in Battle Creek in the United States state of Michigan that she had not prayed. So the student literature evangelist paused to seek God's guidance. It was summer 2015 and she was raising money for school. As Helen, pictured below, headed to the next door, she heard a voice say, A man will open the door and he needs the great controversy. Moments later, the house door opened. A man stood there. Helen, following the practice of seeking to make friends first, offered a health book. Then she pulled out a copy of Ellen White's The Great Controversy. The man was intrigued by the book. He wanted his own copy, but he couldn't afford it. Helen felt certain that God wanted him to have the book, so she offered it for free. The man shook his head. Helen asked whether he had any spare change lying around the house. The man came back with a handful of coins, but it was still not enough. He gave Helen the money, but still refused to take the book. Disappointed, Helen turned to leave. She took a few steps and tripped. The coins scattered on the ground. Helen quickly asked the man to hold the book. After collecting the coins, she began to walk away. The man called after her. Your book, he said. You forgot your book. Helen looked back and smiled. It's yours to keep, she said. He returned her smile. You win, he said. An hour later, Helen found herself going door-to-door in a more affluent neighbourhood. As she introduced herself and was about to say her name, the woman at the door interrupted her. "'It's Helen, right?' she said. Helen was startled. She had never seen the woman before. "'I am a Seventh-day Adventist,' the woman said. "'This morning, as I was reading my Bible, I was impressed by God that Helen would come to my door.' I also was impressed that I needed to write a cheque for $20 because Helen would meet a man who needs the great controversy but would not have the money to buy it. The woman pulled out a signed cheque made out to the sum of $20. She also needed to add the name of the recipient. Who do I make this out to? She said. What would you do? And this Sabbath, the 23rd of June, is the 60th anniversary of the building of the church that I worship in each Sabbath. It's the Landsborough Church in Queensland. And if you want to have a look at uh, what our church is like, just go to landsborough.org. That's L-A-N-D-S-B-O-R-O-U-G-H dot org, O-R-G. Your reader for this week's Adult Sabbath School Bible Study Guide has been Dr. Percy Harold. It has been produced in the studios of Christian Services for the Blind, distributed under the auspices of the Sabbath School Department by HopeChannel.com.